have never repented of my sins because I never even saw myself as a sinner. I didn't see sin as that big of a problem as long as I kept covering it with these prayers. Thank you for tuning in to the Removing Barriers podcast. I'm Jay. And I'm MCG. And we're attempting to remove barriers so we can all have a clear view of the cross. This is episode 131 of the Removing Barriers podcast. And this is the 35th in the series on how were your barriers removed. And in this episode, we'll find out how Charity's barriers were removed when she came to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hi, this is Jay. MCG and I would like for you to help us remove barriers by going to removingbarriers.net and subscribing to receive all things Removing Barriers. If you'd like to take your efforts a bit further and help us keep the mics on, consider donating at removingbarriers.net slash donate. Removing Barriers, a clear view of the cross. Charity, welcome to the Removing Barriers podcast. I'm so glad to be with you. Thank you for inviting me. Great. So Charity, tell me, what state or country were you born in? I was born in North Carolina, and I have spent most of my life in Western North Carolina. Great. Okay, tell us what type of family you were born into, Charity. I was not born into a Christian home. My family was very much the opposite of that. Even though my parents stayed together until I was about 16 years old, it was a broken home long before that. There was fighting all the time. There was drinking. There was drugs. It was truly a broken home. Can you tell us more about the home that you grew up in in the sense of you were not a Christian family and everything that you saw, it sounds like as you were growing up, that seemed to be normal to you. Could you tell us in terms of the fact that your home was broken, even though your parents didn't separate until you were 16, was that because of the area that you were in or was it because of the people that you were surrounded by or was it a combination of those two things? When I was growing up, we lived on the road with a lot of our extended family and and the area that we grew up in. Everybody pretty much had the same kind of lifestyle that we did. So I grew up thinking this was absolutely normal, that there wasn't anything different. We had no idea there was anything different out there. Okay. So take us back into your childhood, Charity. Describe for us before salvation, what were your life and upbringing like? And bring us up to the point that you heard the gospel. Well, I really don't remember ever going to church until I was about nine years old. And for some reason, my family decided to go to church at that point. And I remember when I would go to church, I would just lay on the back pew and sleep. And that's pretty much all I remember about the services, except for toward the end, I saw young people, children going forward to be saved. I had no idea what that meant. But I wanted to do what all the other kids were doing. So one day after church, I told my mom I wanted to do that. And so she took me to the pastor of the church. And in his office, he led me in a prayer and then declared me to be saved. But I really had no clue about the gospel or anything like that. And so I remember as I was praying that prayer that he was leading me in, I remember looking up at my mom and seeing her crying, and I thought, oh, I'm making her proud. So my motivation was all wrong. I wanted to do what the other kids were doing. I wanted to make my mom proud. But when I left there, I really left just how I came. There was no change in my heart and life. What did you understand about the gospel when the 
pastor was talking to you? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. I remember he was asking me a few questions, but I don't even remember the questions, but it seemed like, you know, I was just trying to give the right answers, whatever he wanted me to say so that I could become a Christian and be saved, whatever that meant. But I really don't remember him really explaining anything. Oh, wow. wow. So you said that your parents all of a sudden decided to start going to church at nine. Did your home life change when they started going to church? Did the religiosity of your home change? They said that they were drinking and basically an unfriendly atmosphere in the home. Did that change any once your parents started going to church? No, nothing changed. About six months after this time, my parents decided that church wasn't exciting enough for them. So we started going to another church that was more emotionally driven, very exciting. But the whole time I attended there, I never remembered hearing the gospel. But when I was about 12 years old, I started noticing the hypocrisy that I was seeing, not just in the people around me, but even in myself, because we acted very religious in church. And we would say all the right things and do all the right things to sound like we were really righteous. But the moment we left church, we were just as wicked as the way we came. And then I remember thinking, you know, if this is all there is to life, why bother? My home life was very painful and dramatic. There was no joy. There was no peace. There was no hope at all. And I hated life. I wanted it to end. So when I saw this hypocrisy, I started examining myself and I started examining those around me and the church. And I started thinking, this isn't real. I want something that's real. And I remember praying, God, whatever God you are, whoever you are, if you'll just show me what's real, that's the God I want to follow. I don't care what name it is, if it's Buddha or Allah or Jesus or whatever, whoever is the real God, that's the one I want to serve. If you'll just show me who you are. And it wasn't long after that, that I met a guy in high school. It was in computer class. And the first day of class, we chose the computers that we had had in previous classes. And those two seats just happened to be beside each other. And I, on the first day of class, I wrote a smiley face on a little scrap of paper and secretly passed it to him in the middle of class. And he wrote a frowny face on it and passed it back. And I was so shocked <laughs> that he would do that. And then I looked up at him and he started smiling. So I knew he was joking. But then he just held up a finger and said, after class. And so after class, um, he introduced himself. And the first thing he said to me was, are you a Christian? And I had never had someone so bluntly come out and ask something like that. And so I said, yeah, I prayed a prayer when I was nine. And he said, well, why don't you come with me to church? And I thought, well, that's a strange place for a date, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) So I went with him to church. And that was the first time I had ever heard the gospel preached about Mm. Jesus dying for my sins and that I was a sinner. But at that point, I was still very confused. I was convinced I was a Christian. I had already said the prayer. I had already done everything I needed to do. And so it took quite a bit, about two years later, before I truly understood. And what had happened was after high school, I decided I wanted to go to Bible college. And in Bible college, I was in missions class. And the teacher in missions class was telling us how to be more effective and better present the gospel. So one of the things that he said was, 
you can't just use churchy words because some people will hear those words and they have one meaning in their head that's different from the Bible meaning. Mm-hmm. And so you have to, as you're using these churchy words, there's nothing wrong with the words, they're Bible words. You need to define those words. And so I started listening to these definitions and I thought, well, I know all these words. But as he started defining them, I realized I didn't know what these words really meant. He started defining words like holiness and justification and righteousness. And one of the words that he defined was sin. And I didn't understand sin. And so he was explaining sin is a transgression against God. It's when you do something against what God has said. It's something that displeases God. And God has given us his word so that we would know exactly what sin is. And then he started explaining what a sinner is. And one of the things that he said was, you're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you are a sinner. It's who you are. And that's why you need a savior. And that just opened my eyes to a truth that, you know, I had been praying every time I sinned, I prayed over each individual sin and thought, as long as I keep praying over these sins, if I get every one of them covered, then I'll be okay. So I was relying on my own self-righteousness, my own work to make sure that I prayed and asked forgiveness for each individual sin, and then I would be okay. And he was telling me, no, the problem isn't just what you do, it's who you are. You're a sinner. And so then he continued defining these words, and he got to the word repentance. And I had never really heard that word explained. To me, I thought repentance was just this guilty feeling. When you do something wrong, you feel bad about it. And then you just ask forgiveness and you move on. And he was explaining that repentance was a change of mind that causes a change in direction. It's when you realize God's truth in his word and your thinking don't match and he's right and you're wrong. And I was, uh, as he was explaining all this, I have never repented of my sins because I never even saw myself as a sinner. I didn't see sin as that big of a problem as long as I kept covering it with these prayers. So at that point, I realized I'm not truly saved. I have never trusted what Christ did for me on the cross. He paid for all that. He was the only sacrifice, the only righteous lamb that could die for my sins because he'd never sinned. And here I was trying to pay for my own sins, and he's already paid for them. And I realized I had never trusted what he did for me to pay for my own sins. And so I didn't immediately trust Christ right then because I had this plethora of emotions and thoughts. First, I was angry at that pastor who just led me in a prayer and never explained any of these things Mm. to me. And then I had thoughts of, well, I'm in Bible college. How am I going to explain to others that I'm not saved? And so there was this embarrassment and this pride that, you know, I can't tell people I'm not truly saved. So I really wrestled with this for a couple of weeks after that. And then finally, the conviction was so strong that I needed to get things right with God. I was guilty before a holy God, and I was separated from Him because of my sin. 
And I didn't want that anymore. I didn't want to be God's enemy anymore. I wanted to be his friend. I wanted to be his child. But there was nothing I could do to change my station. There was nothing I could do to clean myself up. And I acknowledge that because, you know, we did the religious stuff. And we would always go home the same as when we came to church. And the only hope for me was that he would change me, that he paid the price for me. And so I remember one day I was driving in my car and I just started praying and crying. And I said, Lord, I really don't understand all this salvation stuff. But what I do know is that Jesus Christ is the son of God and he died for my sins to pay a debt I could not pay. And I can never be good enough. I'm a sinner. And the only hope I have is Jesus Christ. And I asked God, I said, forgive me, save me. And from that moment on, there was a joy I had never had before. It was an unexplainable peace. Before that moment, I had cried myself to sleep almost every night of my life. And from that moment on, I had a purpose in life. I had a reason. I knew why I was here. I knew where I was going after here. I knew that I had someone with me at all times and that I was truly his child. Amen. Charity, that's amazing. So take me back. You said you cry many nights to sleep while going to sleep. What do you think it was that didn't allow you to go and talk to that professor or go talk to someone who you know was truly saved? I guess the question is, what were those barriers that were preventing you from coming to Christ sooner? I know you mentioned some of the maybe the family and the preacher, but if you could just maybe give us them in a bulleted list, what were those barriers that were preventing you from salvation? The first one, obviously, was just a lack of understanding. And then, you know, after being led in a prayer by someone you trust as a pastor and then declaring you saved, you kind of put a lot of stock in that and want to trust that rather than taking a look at what does God's word say. So there was a lot of confusion about that. And then after I did understand the gospel, it was just this embarrassment and pride of, you know, what are other people going to think if I tell them, oh, I'm already a Bible college student, but I wasn't truly saved before. So just wondering what other people were going to think if I were to step forward and say, you know, I'm not truly saved. When those barriers came down, was it a result of just the weight of God's conviction on your heart? Or was it a sermon that you heard? Or maybe was it a conversation with someone at your college, what was that one thing that tossed all of those concerns to the wind and had you flying to the arms of Christ? It really was the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I could, of course, in the church that I was now attending with this young man, I saw other people. And that was really the time when I first saw people living out the Christian life. So I knew there was something different, and I wanted what they had. Well, now I knew how to get what they have. And at that point, it was just a decision of surrendering to what I knew was truth, setting the pride aside and saying, you know, it's not worth this pride of pretending I am saved when I know I'm not. 
when I could have what they have, I could have the peace and the joy that they have. And it was them living out their Christian life and being vocal about it. Did you tell anyone afterwards? I assume you did, because if you get saved and don't tell anybody, that's... Yes, I did. I told the young man that I was attending church with, I actually ended up marrying him. But after <laughs> I uh, trusted Christ, I did tell him very, very soon after that. I called him up and I said, I've got something I need to talk to you about. And then as other people began to discover that I had trusted Christ, I realized, you know, they weren't condemning me or shocked or anything like that. A lot of them already knew that I wasn't truly saved because there really wasn't a lot of difference in my life before then. But after when they found out that I had trusted Christ and was saved, I received nothing but support and love and excitement. And then I had people who were basically just taking me under their wings and saying, yeah, we want to help you in your Christian growth. So that was an exciting time. Amen. So let me ask you this, Charity, because I know you and your husband have, what, four kids or three kids? We have three children, yes. Yeah. I would imagine that something like this, that you were a little bit more adamant not to have it occur in the life of your kids. You know, sometimes when we go through emotional stuff as children, young adults, we kind of shield our children from it because, you know, come hell or high water, we're not going to let our kids go through that. How did you prevent your kids from going through the motion or making a false profession or saying they're safe when they're not? How did you manage that in your home so your kids don't believe they're safe when they're not? We were a lot more careful with our children, of course, even with what church we attended to make sure that it was a church that preached the gospel and preached it clearly. But then we also gave our children a Christian education, but we never pressured them into trusting Christ. We explained things to them. We can't see inside their hearts. So there were times when they would come to us and say, you know, I want to be saved. And we would ask them questions and we would talk to them about the scripture and we would kind of listen. And there were times, I remember my youngest child, especially, he had wrong motives, but because he grew up in a Christian home with a good Christian education, we went to church all the time. He knew all the right answers to give and all the right things to say, but he too had the wrong motives. But when he prayed, we never declared him to be a Christian. We said, if you did what God's word said, if you call upon the name of the Lord, that he would save you. He made that promise, but it has to be from your heart and you have to be trusting what he said and the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ for the payment of your sin by faith. And so we never declared our children saved. So when later on that same child came to me and he said, I'm not sure if I'm saved, I didn't question that. I went forward with sharing the gospel again. You know what the truth is. So we were just really careful not to declare our children saved, but to let God's word to declare that to them. That same child later on, he had said he was saved. He had even been baptized. But he, one morning in church, heard a message that made it very clear to him that he never truly trusted Christ as his Savior. And that morning, his dad led him to the Lord, and he has never doubted his salvation since because he has his faith placed in what God's Word says. Rather than, oh, I said this little prayer, he called out to the Lord in faith, and he trusts that God made the promise if he did that, 
then he would be saved. So I guess the main thing is, is that we never declared our children to be saved. We were very careful to lead them through the scripture, to define the words, make sure they were understanding to the best of our knowledge. But the best that we can do is we can reach their ears. Only God can reach the heart. Yeah. One last question before we go into this break. Okay. I would imagine that, you know, as a little girl growing up in the home that you grew up in, making a false profession to please your mom and stuff like that, what were the emotions as you think about it, you contemplate on it? What kind of emotions come out even now when you go back to that time? Oh, a wide range of emotions. From the time I was nine, of course, when I said that prayer, I was all excited because I had pleased my mom, but then our home life never changed, and so it was a great disappointment. I really thought that this would make things different. And then later on, realizing still have a broken home, still, you know, no security, no peace, that was very discouraging. But then after trusting Christ and looking back, there's a peace. You know, God can use even those circumstances, and he has many times. He's used my testimony of making a false profession, not understanding the gospel, to be able to share with others who also made a false profession. Some of them, they went to a charismatic church where they were told, if you come to church, you'll get healed by God from this sickness that you have, and then you'll be saved and you'll be a Christian. And they didn't know any different. But after hearing my testimony of how I also prayed a prayer, but then God's word made it clear what true salvation was, they were willing to step forward and say, you know what, I need to follow what God's word says rather than what someone has told me in the past, even if they led me in a prayer or declared me to be saved, the question is, what does God's Word have to say about salvation? Amen. You're listening to the Removing Barriers podcast. We're sitting down with Charity, and we're finding out how were her barriers removed. We'll be right back. This is the Removing Barriers podcast. If the podcast or the blog were a blessing to you, leave us a rating and a review on your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget to share the podcast with your friends. Removing Barriers, A Clear View of the Cross. Hi, this is Jay. MCG and I would like for you to help us remove barriers by going to removingbarriers.net and subscribing to receive all things Removing Barriers. If you'd like to take your efforts a bit further and help us keep the mics on, consider donating at removingbarriers.net slash donate. Removing Barriers, A Clear View of the Cross. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. After salvation, Charity, what changes were evident in your life that you can remember? The immediate change was that I had a joy that I'd never experienced before. And sin became a bigger deal to me at that point than it had been before. I became aware that, you know what, I really want to please God. He's pleased with me who I am because I'm his child, but there was just this drive and this desire to please him just because I loved him and all that he had done for me. I had a desire to learn his word, and at that point, I began understanding his word more clearly. I also had a desire to share my life and my testimony with others because he had made such a great change in my life. My friends changed. The places I went changed. 
the things that I would watch on TV or the music I listened to, that began changing because I began realizing what I was seeing and listening to and who I was hanging around before. They didn't have the same goals that I had. My goals had changed. And so it began putting a barrier between us because they still wanted their old life and I didn't. And the things that I watched on TV, it really wasn't enjoyable anymore. Yeah, tell us. Take us back. Just imagine that there's a little girl growing up, 9, 12, 14-year-old girl growing up in a similar household like you. Do you think the way your barriers were removed would be effective to help this little girl or anyone else have their barriers removed as well? Absolutely. If someone takes the time with even young people, no matter the age, takes the time to explain the gospel, Make sure that they understand what the gospel is. The gospel is really, really simple. There's nothing complicated about it. Sometimes we make it way more complicated than it is. But you do have to understand what it means for God to be holy and you're a sinner or that separation or repentance. Things like that have to be explained because someone might have a different idea in their mind then what the Bible really explains is the definition, the biblical definition of those words. But even young children can understand the gospel if someone takes the time to ask them questions and to explain it clearly on their level and to be really patient and not try to force a quick prayer out of them just to talk up another what would be called a salvation. But if it's not understood, they can't be saved unless they understand the gospel. So now that you know the gospel and you're sure that you're saved and all of the confusion by God's grace has been lifted and now you know what it means to be saved and to live for Christ, what are some of the things that you do personally in the area of evangelism or discipleship to help remove barriers like the ones you faced in your life that others may have in their lives? Some of the things that our family does, first of all, God has called us to missions, and we do serve on a foreign field. So we've dedicated our lives to sharing the gospel with others who either haven't heard or who have been confused by a poor presentation, or maybe just some of their beliefs have been mixed up and they need some help understanding. We also love passing out tracts. We love spending time one-on-one with people and just talking to people and trying to turn that conversation around to eternal things, to spiritual things that will help them and just pray that God prepares their heart and gives us opportunities to share the gospel. Are you finding that these days when you interact with some of the people that you talk to one-on-one that many of them have had the same experience that you did where there was a false profession, perhaps they thought they were saved, and then in the course of interacting with you or with maybe a pastor or someone, they come to realize that they're not saved. Is that something that you encounter frequently? We do encounter that quite a bit, especially, like I said, we serve on the mission field. And even in foreign countries, this is a problem. When they do hear the gospel, sometimes the presentation that they are given does not explain the gospel at all. Sometimes it doesn't even contain the gospel. And so there's a lot of confusion, but then whoever is leading them or whoever is talking to them declares them to be saved, and they rest on that declaration instead of understanding the Word of God. And Mm. here in the States, we are currently stateside. We see the same thing that people really don't have a comprehension. A lot of people have this idea of, oh, my salvation is I've turned my life over to the Lord. 
but they don't understand they have to deal with that legal side of it of you are guilty before a holy God as a sinner and there has to be that transaction for your sin for you to be saved. It's not just giving your life to the Lord. That comes after salvation when you surrender your life and make him Lord of your life. But at salvation, they need to understand that the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ for our sins according to the scriptures. So I do encounter that a lot and I try to follow that pattern of explaining the gospel that Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection for our sins, according to the scriptures. That is the gospel, and they have to understand that. All right, Charity, we're going to go into a little bit of fun section and find out some of your favorites. So tell us, what is your favorite scripture verse? My favorite scripture verse is Nahum 1-7. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust in him. The reason this is my absolute favorite scripture verse is because this is the verse that the Lord gave me. My dad, back in 2012, passed away very suddenly. And this was the verse that I did for my personal devotion that morning. I had just read that verse and memorized that verse. And that verse came up the moment I found out the news that my dad had passed away. God used that verse to stabilize my heart and to move me forward in my grief. Amen. I'm sorry to hear about your dad, but praise the Lord. What is your favorite Bible history, your favorite biblical historical account? I really love studying the women of the Bible, whether they be the well-known ones or the more obscure Bible ladies. But God has used women throughout history in very powerful ways. But if I had to choose just one account, I think I would go to Mark 14 when the woman who was actually unnamed in the book of Mark came and anointed Jesus' feet. And she broke up in that alabaster box and poured out that precious ointment. And there were so many around her that were criticizing her, but she didn't worry about the critics. And then Jesus said something that had a powerful impact in my life personally. He said, she has done what she could. And as I try to serve the Lord, there are so many times and so many things that I cannot do. Either I don't have the skill or the talent or the resources, or sometimes I just don't have God's permission necessarily to do certain things for him. But I don't need to worry about what I cannot do. He just wants me to be willing to do what I can for him. So that's why that account is so powerful in my life. Amen. The Lord still used broken things. Amen. Amen. What is the most convicting scripture passage to you? Oh, that would definitely be John 13, when Jesus laid aside his garments and grabbed a towel in a basin and started washing the disciples' feet. Mm. So here you have the creator of all things kneeling down to serve. And feet are just gross. You have to admit, feet are gross. (laughs) But he was willing to do the most unwanted task to serve others. And what's even more convicting is that one of the pairs of feet he was washing was Judas's feet. Knowing that Judas was going to betray him, he still washed his feet. So in my life, I think, you know, it's really easy to serve people we love or serve people that appreciate what we're doing or do hard things for people who are good to us. But the question is, am I willing to serve people who treat me cruelly or do me wrong? Hmm. You know, as you were describing what the Lord himself did when he laid aside his garments and took a towel, girded himself and washed, you know, gross feet. I tried to visualize what that must have been like for the disciples, how shocking and how it must have made them feel. That would be 
like, I don't want to sound like I'm diminishing the position that the Lord has in the universe, but the closest thing that I could think of would be like the King of England or maybe the president coming to my house and washing my feet. (laughs) And he's greater than any of those two that I mentioned. The fact that the God of the universe would lower himself to such a state to where he's serving others, doing the low, meanly task of washing their feet. That's an incredible, that's an incredible one, incredibly convicting as well. What would you say is the most comforting scripture verse for you? Is it the same as the verse that you mentioned was your favorite? Is it the same as Nahum 1-7? It definitely is, because in the dark times and the troubled times, I'm not alone, and he's good to me. So it says the Lord is good. So he's not just good in the good times and when everything's going well. He's also good when it rains, and he's also good when you're going through a tragedy, and he's also good when things just didn't go as you planned. He's always good, and he's where I can run to when the trouble comes, and the reason I can run to him is because I'm his. He knows who trusts in him. And consider how good he is, too, that in all of the world, throughout all of time, he came down to save us specifically. Like, he came down to save you, Charity, specifically. He sent, well, you didn't know it at the time, but what would end up being your husband? He yeah. sent him. How is it that the boy that you sat next to in computer class is the same one that God used to bring you to him through a series of events? And the fact that he went to such great lengths to find you where you were when you were completely helpless and unable to reach out to or to find him is a testament to how good our Lord is. Yeah. Amen. What would you say is your favorite hymn of the faith? Oh, for many years, it was It Is Well With My Soul, because once I trusted Christ as my Savior, I had such confidence that it was well with my soul and still is today. But a few years ago, that favorite song actually came in the place where we live on the field. It's a very noisy, noisy place. And some of the noises are like just annoying noises, like car horns honking and neighbors coming in at 3 a.m. in the morning and being really loud or dogs barking at all hours of the night. But some of the noises that we have to endure are much more oppressive. You have your pagan priests and they're on loudspeakers preaching throughout the community. You have idol worship with bells ringing and chanting or gongs or songs. Even when we go into a store, they will play inside the stores these chanting mantras that are so repetitious, they just get stuck in your head. And and it's just constant noise like that. And where we are, Christians are such a tiny minority. It just feels like we're just overwhelmed. And the persecution there is real and very difficult. And we struggle sometimes. That's an understatement. But there are times when it is difficult. So one morning, I had gotten up, and I was going to do my morning devotions, and all the religious noises were going on outside all around. I could hear the gong ringing. I could hear neighbors ringing their bells and doing their morning worship to their idols. And I just wanted some peace and quiet. I really did. And so I prayed, and I asked God. I said, God, I need some help this morning. I really didn't want to hear the wickedness outside. Then suddenly, a breeze came through. And behind our house, we have a bamboo grove. And the breeze went through the bamboo grove, and it was just so peaceful to hear it. 
And then after that, I started noticing the different birds outside that were singing. And there were several different melodies that I was hearing from these birds. And they were so cheerful. And it was like I completely forgot all the other noises. And that's when the song, This Is My Father's World, Mm. came to mind. And I had to look at the words. I had not sung that song in so many years. I had forgotten what it said. And so I looked it up and it says, This is my father's world. The birds, their carols raise. The morning light, the lily white, declare their maker's praise. This is my father's world. He shines in all that's fair. In the rustling grass, I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. This is my father's world. Oh, let me never forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. The problem wasn't the noise that was going on side. The problem was my focus. Mm. I kept focusing on the wickedness around me and not focusing on my God, my maker, my savior. And these birds outside, they were hearing all the same noises I was hearing, but they were still praising their creator. And I could do the same thing. I could focus on the wickedness or I could join the birds in singing his praises. So from that point on, that song became my favorite song because it helps me to refocus no matter how noisy this world gets. God is with us. He's in control. He's still on the throne and he deserves our praise at all times. Amen. Amen. Who is your favorite giant of the faith from the scriptures? Oh, (laughs) my favorite giant is probably not one that anybody is going to consider a giant, but she is definitely a hero to me because of the example that she set. And it's the Samaritan woman at the well, because she was a woman who wasn't liked or respected, and she had earned that dislike and that disrespect. But then she came face to face with Christ. And he changed her life. And I can so identify with this woman after coming face to face with Christ, a changed life. And what was the first thing that she did? She left what she was doing behind and took truth to her people. And that act impacted an entire city. She was bold. She was courageous. She was just a woman who simply did what she could. And I think she's such a hero to me because it reminds me it's not about my talents and my abilities or what I can or cannot do. It's just this willingness to take what I know and to take the message out and let God use it how he will, because he's really the one who's going to change lives. I'm just a messenger, but he can use people right where they are to take his message. Amen. Charity, let's wrap it up. Tell us, by the way of sharing the gospel, how can barriers be removed in the life of others? The barriers in our lives are not barriers to the Lord. He can remove the barriers, but we have to identify what those barriers are. And in my life, that barrier was not understanding the gospel. And the gospel is so super simple. 
for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but shall have eternal life, everlasting life. That is the gospel. God's son came and paid the price for our sins. And we have to understand that we are sinners for all have sinned and have short of the glory of God. I'm a sinner. Everyone's a sinner. We have all gone against God's word. And when we admit that we are a sinner, we understand we need a savior. And the only one who can be that savior is the sinless son of God, who is Jesus Christ, who he sent to us. And then we have to trust. We have to call out in faith because he promised whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If we call out, he will keep his promise because he cannot lie. And that barrier can be removed if we trust God's word and God's way of salvation. Amen. Charity, thank you for joining us on the Removing Barriers podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Removing Barriers podcast. Make sure to rate us everywhere you listen to podcasts, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. Removing Barriers, a clear view of the cross. Thank you for listening. To get a hold of us, to support this podcast, or to learn more about Removing Barriers, go to removingbarriers.net. This has been the Removing Barriers podcast. We attempted to remove barriers so that we all can have a clear view of the cross.